0: Last week, Pastor Eric began a new sermon series for us uh, entitled Stewardship, and for those of you who were here last week, you know that he told you that I would be uh, bringing the second in this series of messages, and he told you what I was going to be preaching about, so I am impressed that you came back. So thank you for being here. You're faithful. That's good. It's wonderful. He started last week at this uh, Stewardship series and, and helped us with just laying a foundation with thinking about the idea of biblical stewardship. Started with Psalm 24, 1, and he reminded us that from that text, uh, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and simply made this foundational statement that uh, we need to recognize that God owns it all, and that we at some point need to acknowledge that in our lives. We get confused sometimes in thinking that we own stuff and that God owns stuff, but the truth is, God owns it all. And he said that there were two ways that we could respond to that ownership of God. We could respond in By creating chaos, or inviting chaos in our life when we choose to ignore God's authority. When we decide, you know what, God, I think it's my stuff, I'll do with it what I want to do, that that's kind of a recipe for disaster. He said, or the other side is that we can invite security into our lives when we set our heart's affection on God. And when we realize that the way life really works and the way life works in the kingdom is worth our acknowledging that God truly is the owner of it all. It's the foundation for stewardship. He reminded us that sometimes when we hear the word stewardship, we kind of shriek in response because we think, oh no, we're having a capital stewardship campaign or a capital finance campaign. We're raising money to build something and we need more money, more money. And while stewardship is not just about that, it's much broader. It certainly does include our money and our possessions. But it's worth our taking time to inventory what is it that God has entrusted to us because last week... He reminded us that stewardship, or being a steward, really means that we are God's managers. We're God's caretakers. He's the owner. We're the caretakers. All the way back from Genesis 1 and 2, we discovered that God has entrusted into our care, really all, of God's creation. It's really an amazing responsibility that God has given to us as stewards. And If we think about inventorying what it is that God's given us, one of the things that he said to us last week was, that God has entrusted to our care the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I got a question for you. How did you do as a steward this last week? What did you do with the gospel this last week? Yeah, it's an amazing thing to be a steward of the gospel because we can do one of two things with that stewardship. We can either hold on to the gospel and protect it as if it's gonna be stolen from somebody or we can give the gospel away to people freely. And the amazing thing about giving away the gospel is that you can give it away, and you still have it. And you can give it away again, and you still got it. Why? Because the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the crucified, buried, and resurrected Lord Jesus that resides in your heart. And we have the freedom and the ability to be able to give away the gospel to other people as a steward of the gospel, and yet it does not go away. What an amazing gift that God has given to us. So, He reminded us that that really is ultimately our greatest stewardship. You know, we can talk about a lot of other things about stewardship, but really, what did you do with the gospel this week? I pray that you were living on mission this week and that you gave it away to someone. But there are other things that God's entrusted to us, and it's worth our noting those. Uh, God has entrusted to us relationships with other people, God has entrusted to us spiritual gifts, He's entrusted to us talents. Uh, in some cases, he's entrusted to us property, and he's entrusted uh, physical, tangible, material possessions. I think about in this church, one of the special things that God has entrusted to us. Seeing Gary Sanders on the front row a moment ago, maybe think of this. I, I met a young, uh, young man who's coming here, moved here this week. Why? Because he's in the military. God has given this church an amazing stewardship of relationships with countless numbers of men and women that God just keeps bringing to our doorstep. What are we doing with them? Are we reaching out to them, loving them, making this their home? As Sam so aptly said a moment ago, I believe God's given us a great, great stewardship of those very special relationships that we have in the store. So it's important for us to inventory that and understand what it is that God has given us. But stewardship does include our money and our possessions. So today, we're going to talk about the whole issue of money, possessions, and giving and where that fits into the bigger picture of stewardship. Now, there are some who think or believe that the church should never, ever talk about money or giving. Uh, Can I just say, I'm going to challenge you, if that's your thought about that, uh, that you need to read the New Testament, especially the Gospels. This past week, I read the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters. I want to encourage you to do that. 18 of those 24 chapters have stories about Jesus teaching, or things that he did or said regarding money, land, wealth, poverty, stewardship, giving, paying taxes. I mean, Jesus had a lot to say about money. And so, when I think about people that would say, you know, well, I don't think we should ever talk about money. I'm afraid people are going to come to church and think, oh, they ever talk about is money? They just want my money. They just want my money. Well, Jesus had a lot to say about money, and I believe it was because he recognized what a struggle it would be in our lives. Remember the first commandment that God gave to Moses in the Ten Commandments? I'm the Lord your God, you shall have, how many gods? No other gods before me. And Jesus recognized that in our fallen state and in our humanity that we would be enamored with new and bright and shiny and, and just need to have more and more and more stuff. And he knew that there would be a great temptation in our life to look to non-life-giving stuff to give us life. And it comes up short every time. So consequently, Jesus, in a great expression of love, taught us a lot about how money and possessions and stuff works. Because he knew we were going to need to know about that. He knew we were going to struggle with that issue in our life. But I think it would be very much unlike Jesus for us to not talk about uh, money. And... If we don't talk about it, you know, it leads to confusion. It's an interesting place to be. We leave people to their own devices to kind of figure it out if we don't simply say, let's look to see what Jesus had to say about this issue. A little bit like the three boys that were coming out of church one day, and they got into discussion about the offering. And they were trying to figure out, because they really hadn't been taught much about how they should give or what they should give. And so they, trying to figure this out on their own, said, one little boy said, well, here's what I do. He said, you know, I mow lawns and I, I uh, get some allowance from my parents. And so at the end of the week, I go outside and I take a piece of chalk and I draw a big old circle and on the ground and I step inside of that circle and I take everything that I earned that week and I just throw it up in the air. And it said, whatever comes down inside the circle, that's what I give to God and what comes on the outside of the circle is what I keep for myself. Another little boy said, that's not what I do. I kind of do the opposite. I draw the circle, I get in it. But when I throw the money up, everything that goes out of the circle I give to God and everything that stays in, I keep for myself. The last boy said, I've never heard of that before. Anybody doing that? He said, what I do is I just take my money and I throw it up and I say, okay, God, whatever you keep up there, that's yours. Whatever comes down (laughs) is what I keep for myself. Now, some of you think that's a pretty good plan. Maybe that's that's the way. You see, if we don't help people understand what God has to say about money and stuff and possessions, we really are kind of left into our own devices to figure that out. And confusion reigns along the way. I want to encourage you today as we look at this passage of Scripture to understand that uh, we are going to look at an individual who got Pastor Eric's message last week. They understood this issue that God owns it all. And they demonstrate that in specific ways that we're going to identify. But I went to the bank on Thursday, and I took some money out of the bank, and I want to give that to you today. So, ushers, where are you if you'll help me with this? There should be offering plates that start going around. This is maybe the only time this ever happened in the life of this church. I don't know, but we're going to do the offering twice today. We received the offering the first time, and we'll go ahead and pass it out. and you take. You're taking from the offering, everyone. You need to take two coins out of this plate, okay, two, Not one, not three, and I need everyone to participate, okay? So everybody does this. Everybody, everybody take two coins just keep passing the plate around. And I know this is different. Now, the last service, this guy said, I was surprised it was pennies. I said, well, that's fine. It was $10 bills at the first hour, but we ran out. I'm sorry. That's not true. I'm just kidding. Uh, It's been pennies in every service, okay? You hold on to those. And uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do with them at the very end, but I just want you to uh, have those as a gift from me, and uh, we'll use that as part of our our teaching this morning. Now, this is a bit of an unusual passage that we're going to look at today, and not unusual um, in the sense that it's unfamiliar, but I believe that it's unusual in the sense that as followers of Christ, we should seek to mimic Jesus or imitate Jesus. We should do the things that Jesus did. But when I read this text, I think, man, we don't do this at all the passage of scripture we're going to look at today jesus recognized the biggest givers to the temple and i'm thinking we don't really do that much at all as a matter of fact we practice this anonymity kind of thing where i mean there's a separation with our pastoral staff we have no idea we don't have a way of knowing what you give or how you give there's a separate office that deals with that so i don't i don't know if you give anything to this church And so Jesus, though, uh, is at the temple, and he's recognizing those that give the greatest gift. So I thought it would be a good idea if we did that this morning. Um, We just received the offering a little while ago, and we recognize who gave the largest gift, the biggest gift today. Who do you think that might—don't say anything. No, actually, before we do that, though, you're going to need to make sure that you're measuring properly. Because you see— If we're not careful, we will suffer from the same thinking that the disciples had. And Jesus actually took this moment to teach them and try to correct their thinking, because they were not using the right measure very likely, and probably we would not use the right measure either if I said to you, please name the person who gave the biggest (coughs) gift today. I promise you, most of us would be wrong in our answer. So with that bit of introduction, Let's um, take just a moment to look at the scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 21 is our text today. We're going to look at the first four verses of the book of Luke. Now, my responsibility here is to oversee the education ministry of our church. And so I'm a big fan of teaching and I love education. And if you are one of our teachers here or you teach in some other setting, just looking at the life of Jesus, you have got to appreciate his giftedness as a teacher. Absolutely amazing. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus' uh, teaching amazed and astounded those who heard him because he taught as one having power, great power, and authority. He had the ability to make incredible observations and to be able to teach very succinct life lessons that would challenge and shape the disciples for the remainder of their life. Now remember, Jesus has uh, called these 12 men to follow him. And a disciple is just a learner, so they needed the teacher. Jesus, the teacher, would teach them what they needed to know because in just a few short days from this text, Jesus would no longer be with the disciples. He would be crucified, buried, and on the third day he would rise again. He would be with them for a period of time, and then he would ascend to be with the Father after that. And they were going to be left in charge of the birth of the church and the continuation of the ministry of Christ. So Jesus poured into them in an amazing way. Let's read the text, and then let's make these observations. The Bible says in chapter 21 that he looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood." that she had. Wow. It's quite amazing. Amazing what Jesus saw in this moment. Now, again, he's focusing here on a teaching opportunity. Jesus seldom missed, I would say never missed, the teaching, teachable moment. And in this setting, he recognizes that something is happening. He makes an observation. And he observes that these people are putting money into the treasury. Now, he was located in the court of women at the temple in Jerusalem. And you may be thinking, why was he in the court of women? Well, the court of women was for men and women. But the court of women was as far as women could go in the temple. Now, you may not like that. You may think that's discriminatory. Well, that's just the way it was, okay? But the men could go on further into the temple. But the offering boxes, the treasury, there were 13 boxes like you see on the screen. And you see the the shofar, the ram's horn in the top of the box, it became somewhat of a funnel that people would put their offerings into. And if you look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 12 is the parallel text to this. Mark gives us an additional insight. He says, Jesus sat down directly opposite of the treasury so that he could see what the people were putting in. And as he watched them, Jesus had an eye for the uncommon. And what he saw was not all the wealthy people that were coming by putting in large amounts of money. What stood out to him was there was this one certain poor widow. And he noticed specifically what she had in her hand. She had two small copper coins. And Jesus used this teachable moment to call the disciples over and says, come here guys, you got to see this. You see what this lady's doing? And he said, she just gave more than all. He recognized the greatest giver, the biggest giver that day. Now there are Scholars that would say that word for all, she gave more than all, does not mean that she gave more than each individual. That Jesus was saying that she gave more collectively than all of the ones that had put all of their offerings in the boxes. This woman gave the most. That makes no mathematical sense whatsoever. But do you realize what Jesus did? Jesus has just declared the greatness of this woman's act. What he did was he distinguished between apparent generosity and true generosity. You see, Jesus said there was going to be a new measure. Now, characteristic of Jesus, uh, he had to continually help the disciples learn what life was like and how life works in the kingdom of God. You remember he surprised them one day? They were thinking about being great and being number one in the kingdom, being top dog. And Jesus said, let me help you with this. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you will be what? Servant of all. It's kind of inside-out, upside-down way of thinking, but that's how Jesus said you need to learn to serve if you truly want to be great. Jesus said, no, don't worry about it. If you're last here, that means you end up being first in the kingdom. It's a little different. Jesus said that his followers would be marked by their love that they had for one another. But he said, it's not just the kind of love that loves the people who love you. He said, even the pagans do that, for crying out loud. He said, no, no, what I'm calling you to do is I'm calling you to love even your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who despise you. And now Jesus says, there's a different way to measure the biggest gift. You see, the biggest gift in our thinking would end up being the one with the greatest number of zeros behind it. The biggest dollar amount. But Jesus said, no, the true great gift is really measured by the starting point. And he said of this widow woman that she had two coins when she started. And out of her two coins, she gave two coins. Wow. That is an extravagant, exceptional gift. And Jesus used this opportunity to help them understand how to truly measure great gifts. Jesus was acknowledging that true gifts involve true sacrifice because he recognized that out of the abundance, the wealthy had given. And most likely they were not going to even miss what they had given. But he realized that this lady had given everything that she had. Now there's only one question that comes to mind for me when I look at this text. I read this story. I asked this question, what on earth would possess this woman to do such a thing? I mean, again, it makes no sense. My mother is a widow. She's been a widow for 26 years, and I know how much she has to live on, and it's not a lot. She does not have tremendous means. And if she were to call me and say, "I gave everything I had to church today," you know, I'm not sure what I would be saying. I'd be thinking, "What? Are you kidding me? How are you going to live?" And so it doesn't make sense to me that this woman did this, and yet Jesus commends her for her tremendous sacrifice. So when I think about how it is that that might have happened, it occurs to me that this woman was making this offering in the very presence of Jesus. She was alive during Jesus' ministry. And, you know, when Jesus was ministering to people, uh, there were stories were going around about him. People talked about the incredible things that he had done. And so it makes me wonder if there had been times that she had been around, that she had been nearby, that she had heard Jesus teaching. Maybe she had heard Acts 20, 35, when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And maybe she had come to a place to really understand there is a blessing in being able to give in not just being the recipient. She had come to believe that and live that. Maybe she had been a friend of some of the disciples. Maybe she had been a friend of some of the disciples' friends and had heard, or maybe she had been present when Jesus was teaching. Maybe she had heard what he had to say about the instructions for his followers and how they would give. In Luke chapter 6, verse 30, we find recorded these words, Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Seriously? Are you kidding me? Jesus said that his followers would be marked by extravagant generosity. Maybe she had heard that. Or maybe she had learned something about Jesus' teaching about the blessing that's associated with giving. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Luke records these words that Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For for the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. Maybe she had come to believe that truly God does own it all, and truly he's the one who would care for and provide for her needs. You know, there were other things that happened in the scriptures that made me wonder if she had ever been among those people who were with Jesus one day when they were hungry. Remember, Jesus noted that the crowds that were with him, the Bible says that there were 5,000 men in addition to the women and children. And Jesus noted that the, the day was growing long and the people were probably getting hungry and he said to the disciples that they needed to feed the people and they said, what? How are we 5,000 people. Look at all these people. There, there's not enough money among us to even buy what we would need. All four gospels record this miracle of these 5,000 people being fed that day but only John's gospel, John chapter 6 records for us that there was this young lad. There is a lad here The disciples said, Who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Could it be that this woman had experienced that? Could she have been there? Or at least could she have heard about the incredible miracle when Jesus had taken what was limited in the hands of the little boy and in Jesus' hands became an unlimited supply of food where there were baskets to be collected at the end of the teaching? I don't know that. But it just occurs to me that since she was living at the time that Jesus was physically here, maybe she was aware of those things. Maybe she heard Jesus teaching on prayer. Do you remember Jesus taught the disciples to pray? He said, pray in this manner. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's next? And give us this day our daily bread. Maybe this widow had learned to live in such a way she had truly come to believe that God was the supplier of all good gifts and that God would take care of her very needs. It may be that she even recognized that those needs would be cared for even through the gift that she was making in the, in the treasury because part of their responsibility would have been to help with taking care of the poor. But then I wonder if she might have been a victim. Luke chapter 19 records one of the most amazing, transformational stories we find in the gospel. I wonder if she might have been a victim of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. You remember he was the wee little man, the guy of short stature. He was a tax collector. And Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he wanted to just get a glimpse of Jesus. He had heard a lot about Jesus. Why? Because people were talking about all the things that Jesus was doing. And so Zacchaeus made his way into town, and all the tall people stood in front like they're not supposed to, and he was frustrated. So he couldn't see, and he climbs up, the Bible says, in the sycamore tree. Well, when Jesus comes along, what we discover is that Jesus is walking down this street, and he stops all of a sudden, and he looks up. And it's no accident that when he looks up, he is standing right beneath the tree where Zacchaeus happens to be. You see, Jesus had an appointment on this day, and he looked up to Zacchaeus, and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down go into your house today. We're having lunch together. Well, the rest of this story unfolds that Zacchaeus' life is transformed. How do we know that? We know that because of what Zacchaeus ends up saying back to Jesus. He says, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. Tell you a little secret here about giving. Zacchaeus was not giving so that his sins would be forgiven. Zacchaeus was given because his sins had been forgiven. You see, giving has nothing to do with our trying to buy our way into the kingdom of God. Giving has everything to do with a response of our heart to the grace of God. And Zacchaeus' life was transformed, and we know that because of those things that he said, the statements that he made. It's been said that Zacchaeus' heart was transformed, but also was his wallet transformed. It was Martin Luther who made the statement that there are three conversions that are necessary. The conversion of the mind, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the purse. And he said the latter will prove to be more difficult. And he may very well be right about that. You see, Zacchaeus' response to the gospel, his response to Jesus, was recognizing that forgiveness comes in Christ alone. And with a transformed heart, generosity became a part of his new nature in Christ I want you to um, just note with me for just a moment that Jesus commended this woman for what she did. He commended her, or he, to the disciples. He acknowledged that what she had done was a good thing. And in our way of thinking today, those two coins that I gave you, probably not very much. As a matter of fact, some of you might have been thinking, "Really, two pennies? I mean, that's all I get. You're, you're kidding me." But those coins have value. One value that they have is from the United States Treasury. The United States Treasury says that coin in your hand is worth one one one-hundredth of a United States dollar. So our government has determined the value of that. But the other value that that coin is assigned is really by you, and it's based on your bank account. If your bank account is sizable, then you realize this is really not very much. If you have nothing, these two coins even might have some value to you. My guess is that as these people were putting their offerings in, Jesus was not the only one that noted those two. You may recall that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about uh, how giving really is an assumption for a follower of Christ. He didn't say, if you give, Jesus just said, when you give, and then he told us how to give. And he told us not to give like some people who call great attention to themselves with the trumpets, Well, that picture I showed you a moment ago would be an example of the trumpets. Sometimes there would be wealthy people who would throw large, heavy-weighted coins into the offering, and the noise that it would make as it went into that trumpet and fell would be noticed by others around them because you understand what it's like when you drop a penny and when you drop a half a dollar. You realize there's a difference in the sound. And people recognized, wow, that was a big gift that guy just gave. Jesus told us not to give that way. But he said giving really would be an assumption. He said that when we give. Now, my guess is that some may have noted those two coins and thought, that's really not very much. Lady, just keep the two pennies, okay? I mean, really, that's not going to do much good. What's going to happen with that? In some ways, maybe we're tempted to think that about the size of gifts there was once a man that went into the temple jesus said in matthew and luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14 and he said this man went in to pray and and as he went in his prayer was this the bible says that he said lord thank you that i am not like these other sinners around me i'm not an extortioner i'm not an adulterer and i'm certainly not like this tax collector here beside me. God, I fast twice a week, and I give a tithe. I give 10% of everything that I have. And the Bible doesn't go on to say this, but it's implied at least that he broke his arm off to pat himself on the back to say, God, aren't I something? Look at me. And the Bible says that beside him was this tax collector. And he says that he couldn't even lift up his head And the Bible says he just beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, I think there may have been some of the people that were in line there that might have been kind of looking down on this lady in much the same way. I'm thinking that's really not much of an offering. I mean, we're really giving the heavy, we're doing the heavy lifting here. We're really the ones that are important here in doing this. We need to be careful when we make a judgment like that upon other people. You should note with me for just a moment three things that Jesus did not do in this passage of Scripture. One, he never condemned the wealthy. Jesus never condemned these because probably he was thinking of their contributions they are doing as they should do. You see, as, a, as an obedient uh, Jewish man or woman, they would have understood from the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy all of the different tithes and offerings that were their responsibility to contribute. And so they would have been doing what they should have been doing. And as they look, as Jesus observed that, uh, he made note recorded in Matthew 23, 23 about some others who were giving in that same manner. He said, this kind of tithing you should do. But he said, there are other weightier matters that you have overlooked. Jesus said, there are more important things than just that giving. But he said, some people are working so hard to give just exactly the right amount. I don't think that we find any condemnation from Jesus here about the wealthy. As a matter of fact, there were a number of people who followed Jesus who were quite wealthy and who helped support and underwrite his ministry. So he never makes any condemnation here. Also, Jesus never says that the woman should not have given those two coins. You know, in a a well-intentioned and a well-meaning kind of way, sometimes we are prone to have sympathy for someone who is in poverty and even say to them, really, you don't have to give anything. I mean, they shouldn't have to give, they don't have very much anyway. But Jesus never says that in this passage of scripture. And can I just say to you in all honesty that to make that kind of statement to another person is an effort to rob them of the joy of participating in God's kingdom work in this tangible way. You know, there's dignity in every one of us being able to participate in the work of God. And so Jesus teaches us in this passage of scripture that the size of the gift is measured only by him. It's irrelevant what we think about the size of the gift. And lastly, Jesus never says that this model of giving everything was the model for our giving. Jesus never says that you should empty your bank account. I don't know that any of you have ever done that, that any of you plan to do that. I'm not advocating that you do do that. But what Jesus does do is commend that she gave a gift that involved true sacrifice on her part. You may recall that it was David, the second king of Israel, that was in a place where he was needing to make a sacrifice, and there was one who offered to provide everything for him, and then he could make the sacrifice. And David made this profound statement that was so insightful about our giving when he said, I will not sacrifice that which cost me nothing. See, David realized, too, that true generosity actually would cost us something along the way. I believe that Jesus recognized that in her giving her all, she was trusting that God was going to supply her every need. Quickly, this passage of Scripture for me also helps me with three motivations that I find for our giving. I think the first motivation that we find really is in the first verse where the Bible says that Jesus sat down and observed the offerings of those who were giving. Sometimes there are people who are motivated to give out of guilt. I mean, that's kind of their primary driving force is I know I'm supposed to do this and doing what I got to do. This is an obligation. And I know that God is watching because that's kind of that implication there. Jesus watching there, we realize that he's with us, present here. God certainly knows where the offering plate goes up and down the aisles. He understands what our participation or lack of is in that. And some people find themselves thinking, okay, I'm going to do something, I'll give something, but it's not so much from the heart, it's because I'm gonna feel guilty if I don't and I'm supposed to do that. I wanna encourage you to know that there really is a better way for us to give. There's a much better way to give than guilt. Another way that people give or another motivation for giving sometimes is greed. Now that may seem like an oxymoron. You're like, how could you give and be greedy? Well, it'd be in this way. A person could give in a sense that they're seeing themselves as making an investment somehow and then they're looking for a return on their investment. You see, in the same way that there are physical laws of nature, like the law of gravity, that says if I step off of this stage, I should expect to find myself on the floor below. Well, there are spiritual and economic laws at work as well. The Apostle Paul would refer to them as the law of the harvest. It says that we reap what? What we sow, okay? And so uh, in the Bible, what we find is that there is some blessing attached to generosity and giving, I can't explain that to you, but I can just tell you that when we give, it has a way of coming back our way. And some people in a level of immaturity might give in such a way as to say, I'm going to give, but I'm really expecting that God's going to give it right back, okay? And that would be not a perfect model for giving at all. You know, even unbelieving businessmen recognize the value of generosity, and of giving, because it ends up bringing back goodwill toward their company. And so I believe that there are some people, and maybe this would be recognized by some of those who were giving their gifts that day, might have realized that, you know what? It works when I give. Uh, It just just works. I know that. And so I'm kind of given out of this self-serving motivation that I'm going to get back in the end. Now, when we do that, one of the things that's important for us to recognize is that Um, we really don't end up losing in being generous that way. Ask someone that you know who's truly generous how they've been hurt by giving to others. You'll be amazed at the stories they'll tell you about how God has provided for them and blessed them beyond their wildest dreams. Because even in our generosity, there is a blessing attached. Malachi 3.10 affirms this uh, to the children of Israel. Uh, Malachi was challenging them and he said, some of you robbed God. They said, how do we rob God? He said, by uh, the withholding of your tithes and offerings. And he said, so... Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And God says, trust me, try me, prove me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so much that you can't even hold them. The Apostle Paul would say it differently in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he would say that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. The bottom line is that there are some people who give because they really ultimately want to get back. There's still a better way. I'll tell you, that better way is pictured in the, in the widow. Uh, And it's a picture of giving by grace, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ himself to lead you in your giving and to give in a response to what God has done for you. You see, this woman, no doubt, had come to a place that she understood that God would be her ever-present help in a time of need and that he would be the one who would supply her every need. And I think even in her poverty, she desired desired to participate in God's kingdom work And so it could be that her poverty in this picture is a reminder to us of true poverty and true wealth. You see, Jesus said that real life is not found in the abundance of things. And while she may have been materially poor, this woman may have been rich in things that money cannot buy. And there may have been some people there wealthy who were throwing in lots of money, but they were not rich in the things of God. You know, money can't buy peace of heart and peace of mind. can't buy peace with God. So I would never, ever want to encourage you to try to give money to this church somehow to get peace with God. That's a train wreck. That's a disaster. It will never work. Our giving needs to be motivated by the grace of God shown in Jesus Christ. It's a picture of me recognizing that my sin is forgiven, not because I'm a good guy or not because I've done some good things, My sin is forgiven because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. He died, was buried, and rose again. And by his grace, through faith, I have received Christ into my life. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've done the very same thing. And it was an act of grace, it was his gift to you. What response can we have? I could never repay that gift. No, wait, I should never ever try to repay that gift. You realize what an insult it would be if you gave someone a true gift, a great gift, and they pulled out their wallet and tried to give you money for it? No, I'm giving you a gift, man. Jesus gave his life so that we might live. And so what response could we have other than just gratitude and our willingness um, uh, to express our thanks? And giving becomes one of those tangible ways that we do that. Grace giving becomes a way of recognizing that we truly do recognize that we are stewards He's the owner of it all. He gives it all and he gives it to us. That it is through us that God wants to bless others. The early church, Paul records in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, desired and loved to give. And they gave generously. As a matter of fact, they gave in kind of crazy ways. I mean, they really gave in ways that were unreasonable, uh, way beyond expectation. They gave more than they could logically afford, and yet God brought glory to Himself through that and he provided their very needs. Somehow they had come to believe the truth of Acts 20, 35 that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now that passage of scripture, that text, causes me to think these are great pictures for us to determine which one of these best describes my life. Am I simply a receptacle for the blessings of God? That the blessings of God just flow to me, and I just enjoy the blessings of God, and it's just amazing. And I may actually punch a little hole in the bucket and let a little bit of that out and pass some of that along, but really, my relationship with God is about God pouring into me and blessing me. Or, could it be, God really does desire for us to be a channel of blessing, that it is that God gives through us to the needs of others. And what Jesus said about this is that really this pipe may increase in size because as God determines that you are a steward that is trustworthy with what he's giving to you and that he can count on you to help pass that blessing along to others, he will actually entrust to you more. Important for us to recognize that God desires for this church to be made up of men and women who are living our lives on mission with the intention of stewarding the gospel and really, Understanding that God owns it all, that we are to be a blessing to people all over the place, wherever we meet. And that God uses our life as a channel of distributing his blessing to others. And part of that ends up coming, even in our financial giving. I want to encourage you today to consider which one of those best describes your life. Am I just the recipient of the blessings of God? Or am I the channel of blessing of God to other people? I want to be that pipe. I think the true expression of grace, of giving motivated by grace, really is that giving becomes a joy in our lives. That it is a true joy for us to be able to give. When we give, our focus is not on, wow, I've got less money in my bank account now. But when we give, our focus is, I wonder what God's going to do to multiply what I have given today in his kingdom work. And I get to experience the joy of knowing what God is doing. Sometimes, I always don't know what God's doing. But sometimes, I get the joy of knowing how God has used a gift to bless others. They make two applications to this and we'll be done. The first application I make from this text is that, when I look at this, it's it's clear to me that all can give some. It is not up to us to determine how much other people should be giving. The reality is there's not a gift that's too small. That's demonstrated by the widow. And yet her gift was enormous. We're talking about her today. She participated in legacy giving she gave everything that she had. But it is a picture for us that all of us can give something. All of us can participate at some level in God's kingdom work in a tangible way. Now the point again of this text is not that we should give everything that we have in an offering. That's not my point. It is about recognizing how God measures our generosity. You see, the two boys had it right, or the three boys had it right in one sense, Our giving is measured both by what we give, but it's also about how much do we keep for ourselves. Good question for us to ask. God, you've given this to me now. How much of this is for me to keep on my own? If you're not giving today, I wanna encourage you to begin. I wanna encourage you to begin a journey that will change your life. You see, there are some things that you cannot know about God until you go down this road in this journey of truly giving you will discover some things about his ability to supply your needs beyond anything that you can ever imagine or dream. So I'm going to encourage you, don't live your life in terms of holding on and building up for yourself. Become a generous person. Begin giving today. Talk to him today about what it is that you will give. You may be thinking, I can't afford to give. I would say to you, you can't afford not to give. But even if you say, I can't afford to give, I want to challenge you to consider this. The measure of the gift had to do with giving up. Sometimes the question we have to ask ourselves is, God, is there something you want me to give up in order to be able to be a blessing to someone else? It's a great question for us to consider. What sacrifice have I made for the sake of being a blessing to others? Maybe you're already giving and you're already tithing and you are already feel like you're contributing well. Thank you. I mean, commend you for doing that. And at the same time, can I offer you a word of caution and warning not to allow that to become a point of pride to say, hey, I'm doing my part, okay? I've done everything I need to do. Because the truth is, I believe that for the steward, what we discover is that the gift and the journey of giving becomes a growing journey. And it becomes a progressive opportunity for us to continue to find out how God would use us to be a blessing to others around us. The second point of application for this message would just be that some can give all. Some can give all. Uh, again, that's not the model. I believe that Jesus is teaching here that we should all give all. But, you know, I was with uh, some individuals this time, uh, this time a year ago, and we're going to be repeating this seminar on March 14th with Gary Wood, uh, and it's a seminar on finances and biblical stewardship. And and someone came to me at that at the break and said, you know, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with my stuff. He said, I'm single. And my parents have passed, I don't have any siblings, I don't have any nieces or nephews, and it's just me. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I don't have that situation, I've got three children, I have a wife, I have siblings, but that's a different situation for me. And that individual was seriously at this seminar saying, I need some help with kind of figuring out what am I going to do when I retire, and what am I going to do with what stuff I've accumulated through my life. I just say to you I'm really blessed by a group of men here in our church that uh, oversee the planned giving ministry in our church. The purpose of that ministry is to help people make decisions about legacy giving and being intentional about saying, you know what? Jesus is real in my life. He has blessed me beyond what I deserve. And I want to continue to be able to give beyond my living years. I want to make sure this church is named in my will or this ministry or organization. I want to be sure that I'm able to give even out of my estate. And that's what that gentleman was looking at doing. I just wanna encourage you to recognize that the truth is God has blessed some people with the ability really to give all for kingdom purposes. Just an aside, over the last two or three months, we've watched brothers and sisters in the Middle East truly give all for the sake of Christ. Uh, They have been stewards of their physical lives And their physical lives have been taken because of Christ. I want to encourage you to recognize that as a follower of Christ, we are his. We are his stewards. He owns it all. He is in charge of my physical life and my health. He's in charge of the possessions that I have. It is my responsibility as a steward before God to say to him, God, I want to be the pipe, not the bucket.